All right, all right, all right. If you can move back to your seats, that would be amazing on this morning. I am so glad that you are here as we continue our series in Walk Like the Master. And uh, I want to share just a couple of things with you as we start out. Um, as you're making your way to your seat, uh, next Sunday, for those of you who are joining us online, we will not be online next week. Um, not because technology has let us know that they're going to mess up already. But we're not going to be online because of the worship service that we are going to be having here um, on campus. It's going to be an exceptionally unique worship experience that we can't do online. So encourage you to maybe look back and see a different uh, message. If you missed last week's, be a great one to catch. For those of you who are going to be here next week, let me tell you something. It is going to be very special, very different, okay? And I know people like me go, woo, it's going to be different. I'm so excited already. And, and you can't wait a week for us to get here so that we can start worshiping in this unique way. For others of us, we're like, what? It's changing? This would be a good week for me to skip. Okay, let me tell you, don't skip. I know some of us don't like change, and we like, like being in our row, in our seat, with our coffee, around the people that we usually sit with. Let me just tell you, next, you don't want to miss next week, okay? If you're joining us online and you, you, you're missing campus this week, come next week. It is going to be a wonderful worship experience. We've been putting a lot of time, a lot of planning, a lot of effort to give you an opportunity to worship God in unique ways, plural, ways, okay? It's, it's going to be fantastic. So make sure that you are here and make sure that you are here on time. And let me just give you a heads up while I'm thinking about it. It won't be set up like this. So just to give you a heads up, we aren't going to have chairs like this. We will have some chairs set up. Those are for people who, who maybe have uh, physical situations where they need to sit down. That is not for people like me, okay? If the few chairs are for specific people. Otherwise, this room is going to be transformed. It's going to be incredible. So I hope that you will be here, okay? Um, so here, here's some information for you. Um, some people know this about me already. My hearing is terrible. I have really bad hearing. When I was growing up, I went out hunting. My dad grew up uh, way down in the valley in Southern California, and so we would go hunting all the time, go dove hunting, pheasant hunting, went to Utah, went deer hunting, and I never, ever wore ear protection when I was hunting. And that's because back in the day, men didn't wear, wear ear protection because we were men. We weren't too bright either, okay? And so I didn't ever wear that, and I drove in Southern California with the windows open and the radio cranked because I was a teenager. And people would say things to me like, hey, you really should kind of protect your hearing, you know, because you're going to pay the price. And I'd be like, I'll deal with it when I get it. I literally said that. Like, I am the opposite of the wisdom. I'm the opposite of Solomon. He's like, hey, you really should be, I'll deal with it when I get to it. Well, now I'm dealing with it. And my hearing is terrible. All you got to do is ask Sean. <laughs> do you hear the phrase, did you hear what I said? Do you ever hear that phrase at your house? D did you hear what I said? And the, the sense of, oh, you were talking to me, <laughs> right? Okay. It's interesting. When we 
think we hear what we think we hear. Now, I've had some people come to me, and I've chatted with some people, especially over the last week, because in the last um, probably four to six months, uh, our church has heard me and has heard Michael say the phrase, the Lord told me. The Lord told me. What does that mean? And so someone came, and we were just talking. We had a wonderful conversation. And the person was asking me, you know, just, the Lord told you, what, what is your belief on prophecy? And, and what are your beliefs on the prophetic gifts? And, and, and we talked about that. And, and, and so we talked about, you know, prophets and, and prophecy and those kind of things. And, uh, and it's interesting to me, excuse me, I forwarded too far. It's interesting to me because most times in the Old Testament, when you, when you talk about or hear about a prophet in the Old Testament, typically they are prophesying about future events. That's what a prophet did in the Old Testament. And typically, a lot of times, the prophecy um, concerning Israel was not good. It wasn't like, you know, uh, the prophet would say, hey, when you go to Rome, choose the lions in the third race. It, It wasn't like that. Typically, the prophet in the Old Testament, it, it was bad news for Israel. Typically, they were having to deal with the consequences of the poor choices they made and their unfaithfulness to God. And yet every time there was a glimmer of hope, even in the prophecy that went against Israel, that, it, that there would be typical times, whether it was Isaiah or Nehemiah or whoever, you know, whichever prophet it was, that, they would say, that, that God would speak through the prophet and say, because of your unfaithfulness, Because of your unfaithfulness to me, the Lord your God, you will be exiled. You will be overcome and overrun by a different country. You will be taken as slaves. And and yet, almost every time, you would hear words like, but I will hear the voices of my people. I will hear the cries of my people, and I will save them. There will be a day of salvation. And many of the prophecies in the Old Testament, many of the prophecies are about the coming Messiah. That was the hope of Israel. Whether they were in Babylon or they were in Egypt or they were, you name it, the prophecy about the Messiah was the hope of Israel. Now, things are a little bit different in the New Testament. In fact, the Greek word prophesia means this, it's a discourse emanating from divine inspiration and declaring the purposes of God, whether by uh, admonishing the wicked or comforting the afflicted or revealing things that are hidden. That's what a prophet does. In the New Testament, you would see actually all kinds of prophets because they weren't necessarily foretelling the future. Jesus did that. Jesus definitely foretold the future. Whether you're talking about his death and resurrection, but really what he was doing was reiterating the Old Testament prophecies about himself. Okay, or he was talking about how, you know, one, you know, where the temple was, that the stones would not be left on top of it. Jesus prophesied. But when you look into the writings of Paul, you look in the Acts, there were all kinds of people who 
prophesied because they weren't foretelling the future. They had a word from God. They had a word from God. And that word, and and you got to hear this, that word from God was always edifying to the church. It was always encouraging to the church. And it was always for the purposes of God and the expansion of his kingdom. And so there were a lot of people who prophesied. In fact, when you, when you think about it, prophecy really is, it's sharing the word of the Lord that's given to us. Prophecy does not compete with scripture. It applies scripture, and that's an important thing. Uh, prophecy does not supersede scripture. It doesn't, it doesn't conflict with scripture ever. If you hear somebody who says, I heard from the Lord, and they tell you something that is in direct violation or conflict with scripture, then you know that they are a false prophet. Okay? So, why do we struggle? Why do we struggle when we hear somebody say, I heard from the Lord, or the Lord said to me, Okay, and and I I was sharing this with the person who was sitting in my office. I think we struggle for a couple of reasons when we hear the words the Lord said to me. Number one, it's not common for us. I mean, it was common in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was common in the early church. The Lord said, the Lord revealed, I feel prompted. It was common for them, but for us, not so much. And so when somebody says, the Lord said to me, there's an assumption that they are in a direct connection with God, and they actually heard God's voice. And that kind of freaks some of us out, maybe even a lot of us. It kind of freaks us out. And then maybe sometimes we look at the person who said, the Lord said to me, and we go, right, like God would talk to you, okay? It freaks us out. The second reason I think it's very real for many of us because there are those who have manipulated and abused the name of the Lord. They have manipulated and abused saying things like, I heard from the Lord, followed by, you should empty out your savings account and give it to, I have heard a word from the Lord. And, and, and we recognize that those people have abused the name of the Lord. They're charlatans. They're liars. And so what we do is when we hear that person or see that person making that statement, we make a blanket statement that everybody who says, the Lord said to me, well, they're in the same place. How can I trust them? Which brings us to a great question. How can we test and know that when a person says, the Lord spoke to me, that we can trust them? How can we do that? Well, it's interesting because in Acts, the book of Acts, we read a story uh, in Acts chapter 17. And in Acts 16 and 17, the apostle Paul is traveling on his world tour, taking the gospel message to the Mediterranean rim. And, and he ends up in a place called Thessalonica. And in Thessalonica, he's spreading the gospel message. And people are coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And there's a number of Jews who don't like that. They hate that. And so they rabble up and rouse, rouse up the entire city. And they create like a riot setting 
they have this one guy who's associated with Paul arrested. And so Paul and his party end up having to sneak out of town. And they go to a place, a city called Berea. And it's interesting what Acts chapter 17 says about the city of Berea. Here's what Luke wrote. He said, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and, check out this next part, examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They didn't just take it on, you know, on account of, he's Paul. He wouldn't, no, no, no. They went, and they went back, and they studied the Scriptures, examined, studied the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. And because of that, as a result of that, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. So so what do we do? When somebody says the Lord told me. I believe that there are uh, four or five things that we can do. Four, really. The first one, which I didn't include in my notes, which I'm a knucklehead, but the first one is pray. The very first thing we should do is pray. If someone says, I have a word for the Lord, from the Lord for you, well, the first thing we should do when we hear it is pray, God, is that really your voice? Or even more so, when we believe that the Lord is speaking to us, Because God does give you words. God does speak to you. I want you to know that. The Holy Spirit speaks to you. The question is, do we hear it? And I'm going to be really, really super honest with you. 90% of the time when I say the Lord said to me, it makes me nervous. It makes me nervous. Because I am using the name of God to give authority to what I am about to say. And it makes me nervous to say to you, the Lord said to me. Sometimes I'm super confident. Last week I was very confident, okay? So the first thing is pray. The second thing, the second thing when testing the Lord told me is measure their words against the character of God. Measure their words against the character. Measure what they said to you when they said the Lord said. Measure that against the character of God. Is that what God would do? Is that what God would say? What do we know of the character of God? We know that the character of God is agape love, unconditional love, that God did and would do anything for you to know him and be with him. God is filled with grace and mercy and kindness. God, And so measure what they have said against the character of God. There may be a time when somebody comes and says, the Lord told me to tell you that you're going to be facing some trials in the future. Stand strong. Stand strong. That sounds like the character of God, right? That sounds like God. But, but measure their words against the character of God. The second thing is measure their words against Scripture. Measure their words against Scripture. Is there, is there biblical foundation to what they're saying? And finally, measure their words against their own character. Measure their words against their own character. There are people that I know 
that because of their life and how they live and my sincere doubts about whether they honestly trust God and know God and believe in God, that if they came and said the Lord said to me, I would have significant doubts simply because of their character, which would only cause me more to get on my knees before God and seek him out to see if that is true. That we measure their words against the character of God, measure their words against Scripture, measure their words against their own character. And it's interesting to me because I believe, last week I shared with you, the Lord said to me to give you these four words. And the response since then has been nothing short of God's affirmation of, see, I told you I was talking to you. I had somebody, we were sitting in McDonald's, and the person said, hey, have you got any feedback on this? Which is always for me, as a pastor, just kind of let you in on what it's like to be a pastor. When anybody starts a sentence with, did anybody talk to you about the message on Sunday? I start going, oh, no. (sighs) Where's this going? You know, and I said, well, yeah, I've had a few people say some stuff. And this person was like, I've been chewing. I've been hanging on to that word desperate all week. My friends, that's not affirmation that I gave a good message. That is affirmation that God spoke. That is affirmation that when I stood here and said, I don't have any any slides for this because God just gave it to me 40 minutes ago, so I'm going to write it on this whiteboard. That was God speaking. So there's affirmation to the fact that God spoke. And the same spirit who guides us in his word who guides his word in and through us, is also the same spirit who guides us in worship. Who guides us in worship. And we're going to kind of make a transition right now, okay? As we move into continuing this idea of worship and worshiping God. And there's a phenomenal story in John chapter 4. And a lot of us who have been in the church or read the Bible, we're kind of familiar with this story in John chapter 4, where Jesus is passing through uh, Samaria, and he comes to Jacob's well, and, uh, uh, and, and he's thirsty, and there's a Samaritan woman there. And I can tell you right now that this story is so full of life. There is so much in its context. I can't spend the time to talk about the context. I encourage you to just Google Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Okay, go to Blue Letter Bible and and do some background research. It is full of the, the, the character of God. When we talk about measure prophecy by God's character, whoo, you can see God's character in the fact that God himself would talk to a reject at a well. That's what that woman was. She was rejected by her own people, and yet God in the flesh would reach out and talk to her. And so in the midst of their conversation, and Jesus actually even prophesies a little bit in this moment. Remember, Jesus says, well, go go get your husband and bring him here. And the lady says, well, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, yeah, I know. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with right now isn't your husband. Woo! That's prophecy, okay? So they keep talking. And, and the woman says to Jesus, you Jews believe that you can only worship on the mountain in Jerusalem. And we Samaritans believe that we can only worship right here on this mountain. 
And then Jesus says this about worship. He said, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And let me just take a sidestep here just in case I forget, okay? Jesus is revealing to us that the location doesn't matter. The Jews believed they would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. A few years ago, a number of us from here from Lighthouse had the privilege of going to Jerusalem, going to the Temple Mount, going to the Western Wall, and praying at that wall. And guess what? God was there. But guess what? God is here. And when you're driving down the street, God is in your car. Jesus says, we are not, the the Spirit of God is not location bound. You don't need GPS coordinates to find God. He's here. Where's here? Here. 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 Wherever I am, he's there. Jesus says, goes on to say, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is looking for worshipers. Which if that doesn't kind of scare you a little bit as you're sitting out here going, Woo, God's looking for worshipers? Like, I just thought we came to look for him. No, he's looking for us. He's seeking us out. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. His worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Father, in the next few moments, as we talk about worshiping you in spirit and in truth, pray that we would come face to face with the fact that you long to be with us. Jesus, you said that the Father seeks, the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks, searches for, are the worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. Help us to understand that better today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's just take a moment and let's break down those two words, okay? Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth, okay? The first word for spirit is pneumati. Pneumati. Can you guys say that with me? Pneumati. Pneumati. It comes from the Greek root word pneuma. Pneuma, okay? And it means breath, Wind, spirit, or my favorite part, the animating force of a person. It is your spirit. When somebody dies and people say something like, well, his spirit is now in heaven with God. That's the word, the animated life force. When, when we say we worship, when Jesus said the, the worshipers that the Father is seeking will worship him in spirit and in truth, that spirit is what makes us alive. And it's what identifies us as alive. That spirit within us is God's Holy Spirit. So when we come to church, 
or when we're in our car or when we're wherever we are worshiping God because we're not bound to a location, that spirit is our life force. In essence, we will worship as if it was the very air we are breathing. We are not only alive spiritually, we are alive, alive in this life because we have the spirit of God. When we worship in spirit, my friends, it is everything that we are. We're worshiping from our very core. God's spirit and my spirit are intermingled into one so that I cannot do anything but worship God because it is the very air that I breathe. There's a, there's a, a fantastic worship song that goes, this is the air I breathe. I'd encourage you to look it up. It's a great song. Maybe even use it for your worship this week. But we worship, Scripture says, in the Spirit. It is our life. To worship God is our life. So the question for you is when you worship, when you come on Sunday morning, do you come to worship as if your life depended on it? Do you come as if, when you, when you come to church on Sunday morning, when you have those times of worship, regardless of where you are, is it as if, it's like, I, I depend on that next breath. Oh, I can't wait for the next one. Because it keeps it, that's what worship is. It's our spirit. The next word for truth is aletheia. Aletheia, Greek word aletheia. Everybody say aletheia. Aletheia means truth. It means conforming to reality or actuality. It often, it often implies dependability. That when I worship, I come before God and say, this is who I am. This is the real me. I'm not going to try and act like somebody else. I'm not going to try and come to worship so that people will see me and think a certain way about me. I'm not going to raise my hands up because that's what is expected. I'm not going to raise my hands up so that person two rows behind me thinks that I'm super spiritual. I, we are humbled before God. Last week we talked about that first word was undeserving. We do not deserve God's love. We don't deserve his grace or his mercy. We are undeserving. And yet Jesus said that the, the worshipers that the Father seeks, he is looking for you. Am I worshiping him as me? Not as you. Am I worshiping him not caring what you think about how I sing? Sometimes I get... I, I'll be honest with you, I get self-conscious about singing next to people because I don't have a great voice. And I get self-conscious about it, so what do I do? I kind of lower my voice. I don't sing as loud so maybe they won't hear me and go, right? Think about little kids when they sing. They don't care who hears them. They don't care that they're off key. They are singing loud. That's what the father wants from his kids. The real me. It's not me trying to pretend I'm something I'm not or someone that I'm not. And this all folds into what we talked about last week when we talked about those four words that God gave to us. 
undeserved, desperate, passionate, and intentional. When I understand those things about worshiping God, when I come to God to worship him in spirit and in truth, then it changes how I worship. It has to. If I come humbled by the fact that I'm undeserving, if I come desperate, desperate for God, for that next breath that I can breathe, which is his spirit, from the core of who I am, when I'm desperate to get to church or get into my car or get into my bedroom and shut the door so I could just be in the presence of God. When was the last time it was like that for you? When was it that you were, you, you were so desperate you, drove, you broke the speed limit to get home and you can only do that when it's about God, but you broke the speed limit to get home so that you could get in and grab your Bible so you get on your knees and pray before God. And I know some of us go, right, right, like anybody does that. I hope I do. I, hope, I, I want to be that desperate for God and passionate that I raise my hands and I sing loud, not caring what you think, that, that I can dance before the Lord and not worry that I have no rhythm because I don't care what you think. And then I'm intentional. And I'm intentional. It changes how I show up to worship and when I show up to worship. When I understand that I'm not coming to worship a friend, I'm not coming to worship a pastor, I'm not coming to worship a, a, a VIP, a very important world, a, a person by the world's standards. I'm coming to worship God the creator of all things, the lover of my soul, the one who did everything to secure my salvation. Then it changes how and why and when I worship. It changes how I view worship. It changes my preparation. So Sean and I love to go to movies, and I, I've shared that with you guys before. Sean and I love to go to movies. And I'm going to be honest with you. I hate missing the previews. I hate missing the previews. Anybody like that? Anybody? Raise your hand. Be proud about that, okay? I, hate, I do not like walking in late to the previews. We get there in time to get in the line to get our popcorn. Well, first we sign up at the bank table to mortgage our house. And then we go, <laughs> am I right? Are you kidding me? $11 for a bucket of popcorn? So, and I'm sorry. So anyway, we get there early enough so that I can stand in line. So we can stand in line, we can get our popcorn, and we can get our drink, which was the second loan that we had to get. And so we get our popcorn, we get our drink, and we go in and we sit down, and we watch what's on the screen, which is typically Maria Menounos, who's telling us, you know, all these great things about Pepsi and what the new, you know, movies and movie trivia and stuff like that. And we are there literally for probably, we're at least 10 or 15 minutes before the trailers start. I want to be there. I don't want to miss anything. We will leave super early. Sean will tell you I am late for most things. I'm not proud of that. Okay. I am not late for the movies. It's stupid. I know. I, it's not bright. 
I admit that. Why am I not that passionate about being with God? Why don't I show up 15 minutes early? This isn't geared towards anyone in particular. In particular, It's geared to our hearts. Because when we understand worshiping in spirit and in truth, and when we understand that worship of a God who loves us so much, it's, we're undeserving. And, and, and I need to be desperate and passionate and intentional. What has to happen in my spirit in order for me to be desperate to be in the presence of God? Look at what David wrote and tell me if you believe that he is in that place and understands what this means. Check this out. This is from Psalm 68. This is what David wrote. You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being belongs to you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Like David said, I will wake up in the middle of the night and my first thought is you. And I won't go to bed. I, I mean, I will just lay there and ponder you, God. For most of us, you're like me probably. And if I woke up at like 3 o'clock this morning, and my first thought was not, oh, Lord, how wonderful you are. My first thought is, God, why are you waking me up? Right? And David says, I think of you. Talk about his soul. Talk about worshiping in spirit. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. And some go, well, David could sing. He was a musician. doesn't matter. When I'm in the car and you too is playing, believe me, I've got it cranked and I am singing and I don't care what anybody thinks. David says, I sing in the shadows of your wings. I cling to you. I cling to you. To you cling now I'm gonna I'm I'm do Aaron can you come up here I didn't even ask Aaron okay so hurry 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 come up here Aaron Aaron is Aaron is my illustration boy okay and woo, good job yeah 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 I love this guy okay so so I have to admit two weeks ago when we were talking about prostrate before the Lord how many y'all were here and Aaron came up here and he had that lightsaber in his hand many of you walked away going what was that about like yeah yeah well the whole reason was because Aaron was supposed to be this warrior that I was laying prostrate in front of and if I got up and moved he could smite me I just forgot all of that part during the sermon so anyway so David writes I cling to you what does it mean to cling to another person? 
What does it mean? I know it's going to be awkward. I know for Aaron, what's happening? What's going to happen next, right? Okay, this is the picture I get. Now, a lot of you, you may think of cling like this. You may think of cling like this. This is what I think of. I think of little kids, and they cling to their daddy. Are you with me? Is this clinging? Does it look like clinging? Okay. Now, and Aaron tries to move. You ever have like your, your, your son or daughter, your grandson, your granddaughter, and they're clinging to your leg? What do they want you to do? They want you to walk, right? And you're like dragging them through the house and everything. This is what clinging is. This is clinging. Okay. Not this, not this, not like, hey, buddy, this is not clinging. Clinging reminds me of desperation, right? Clinging is desperation. I don't want you to go. I want you to go. Thank you. All right. I don't understand. All you had to do was stand up here and you get a hand. I'm up here 30 minutes and we get, I'm kidding. Anyway, the picture of clinging. David says, I cling to you. Do you get a feel for what he's talking about when he worships? Is that how you worship? Is that how I worship? I, last week I talked about intentionality. I talked about intentionality, and it's, uh, I believe that intentionality has to start. It's when my heart, I set my heart on setting my heart on God. Let me say that again. Worship begins... When I set my heart on setting my heart on God. And I know some of you are like, well, you just forgot to erase the last part. No, it's there on purpose. Worship begins when I set my heart on setting my heart on God. And for many of us, that's where we need to start. Because if some of us were honest, our heart, we're here this morning, and I'm here you know, because I have to be. I have to be here because it's what I do on Sunday morning. I'm here because there are certain expectations of me. But I didn't set my heart on God. And the worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth are the worshipers who cling to God. Who it's as if their very breath, their next breath was God. And I'm here, God. It's just me. It's just Doug. You know my life. I'm not going to pretend to be somebody else. It's me. Worship begins when I intentionally set my heart on setting my heart on God. And I'd encourage you over the next week, weeks, months, years, to begin your prayer, to begin your day first thing in the morning, and maybe it's your first prayer, God it's before you even get out of bed. God, I set my heart on you. Don't rush through it. Don't be like, God, I set my heart on you. I'm running late. I'll talk to you later. Okay? I got to get in and brush my teeth. It's like, God, I set my heart on you. Amen. And then you move. Because we can worship God anywhere. Anywhere. That's what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman, right? 
He said, a time's going to come, believe me, when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It's here. I, I have a whole nother part of this sermon. A whole nother part that involves this, I almost said suitcase. This, you can tell how much I use this, right? It's my suitcase. It's a toolbox. And I have a whole nother part about worship that goes with this. But I figure God has spoken for us. And the challenge for you and me is this. Is my heart set on God? Am I desperate for him? When I come on Sunday morning, do I come prepared in spirit and in truth to be before the one who loves my soul? Am I desperate? When you're in your car and you're driving or you're at home and you're clean or you're cleaning your house or you're mowing the lawn or you're snow blowing the driveway, those are prime opportunities to worship God. And there are, let me just tell you, what was coming from this toolbox was the fact that singing is not the only way to worship God, okay? A lot of us confuse that, and we think, oh, wow, that was great worship this morning. Worship is not just singing. Worship can be anything. I can worship God through my job. We worship God through the giving of our tithes and our offerings. That is a, it's not a duty. It's not paying the club. It's a form of worship when we give to the Lord. It's a form of worship when we serve each other. We have a lot of different opportunities to worship God. So four questions for you and me, real quick. And the band, you guys can start making your way up because we're going to worship together, and I hope you start getting desperate. Uh, in fact, stand up. Everybody stand up, stand up, stand up. Okay? The first question is this. Am I desperate for God? Am I desperate for God? And I know, it's like, well, didn't we have that question last week? Maybe. But it's a great question. Are you? Are you desperate for God? Second question, am I setting my heart on setting my heart on God? When I worship God, when I live my life, am I setting my heart on Him? Third question, am I working to worship God anywhere, anytime? Or do I just think that Sunday mornings is the place? It's not. We can worship God anywhere. Are you doing that? Am I working to worship God anywhere, anytime? And finally, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Father, thank you for this morning. And once again, we are reminded that we need you. We need you desperately, God. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, I continue to pray that you would Continue to move among us. We have seen and heard of your work and what you have done. Lord, may we be unashamed and desperate and passionate and intentional in worshiping you. God, right now, we set our hearts on setting our hearts on you. Lord, I need you. I need you like my next breath. I need you. I need you now. 
I need you in an hour. I need you tomorrow. With everything that is in me, God, I need you. I pray we worship you right now in spirit and in truth. In your name, Jesus. Through your power, Holy Spirit. For your glory, Father. Amen.